are now listening to the Vivid Vision Spotlights podcast. I'm Chris Miranda, your host, and today I'm joined by Alex Talaber. Um, Alex is a, an optometrist, um, a researcher, and she specializes in vision rehabilitation um, at the Boulder Valley Vision Therapy Clinic in Boulder, Colorado. Alex, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Ah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you, for, thanks, thank you once again. Alex, did I pronounce your last name properly, just to double check? Thanks for asking. It's Talibur, but I kind of like Talibur. It's like intense, <laughs> but it's Talibur. That's good. That's good. Um, yeah. I, I apologize, but but thanks for correcting me. Uh, and you know what? Let's let's start from the very beginning. Why is vision therapy, vision rehabilitation, and optometry important to you? Well, what I observed as an optometry student is that there's actually way more people with binocular vision issues and functional vision disorders than there are ocular diseases. So I was totally blown away when I saw crazy eye diseases and wanted to help people with um, who had serious eye conditions. But then the more and more I kind of dove into optometry, I saw that there were a lot of people underserved. And these are people with maybe vision issues that we can't see easily. So more brain-related, like amblyopia, strabismus, vision disorder, secondary traumatic brain injury, and acquired brain injury. So I decided to do, and in optometry, uh, residencies are optional. So about 10% of optometrists go on to specialize. So I decided I wanted to know way more about vision therapy and rehabilitation. And I went on and did a residency in New York City and just dove into the world of vision therapy. <laughs> and um, so just to give you an idea, about 16 million people in the U.S. Ha- do not have stereopsis or adequate stereo vision, and 3 million people have glaucoma. And there are significantly more doctors treating glaucoma or able to treat glaucoma, and much, much less doctors who are able to or certified to treat stereo vision disorders. So... I found that it was a huge need, something I'm passionate about because it's kind of a mystery. Our brain is still a mystery. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Wow, 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 wow. So that's a huge, huge ratio that I, I, I didn't even notice or I hadn't come, become aware of the discrepancy. So, wow, 16 yeah. million people. And how, what do you, could, what do you think that discrepancy comes from? Where, what do you attribute the causes for the lack of, you know, more vision therapy around? Well, I think a lot of the um, public is either misinformed or not aware that vision therapy is out there and exactly what it treats. And um, even in Chicago, even major cities, a lot of people do not have access to vision therapy doctors. It's it's quite astounding. Um, actually, in Boulder, Denver area, we're very lucky. We have a lot of vision therapy specialists, so we have a great community here. Um, and it might depend on the community and wellness, preventative medicine, openness to new methods of treatment. Vision therapy is not new. It's been around for 100 years. It's just been a little bit slower to be accepted by certain medical communities. Um, but that's, that landscape is changing because of a lot of new research out of the, in the past decade. So it depends, like you, you go to an eye doctor and there's ophthalmologists, there's optometrists, there's opticians who are more lens specialists. And so I think people are a little bit confused on 
who they go to for what vision problems. And so I'm a behavioral or developmental optometrist and I look at functional vision. My eye exams are two hours long and I'm looking at how uh, vision performance is in eye tracking, eye teaming, eye focusing. And all of those areas may not be tested in a traditional primary eye care exam. And it's not that they're a bad vision doctor, a bad eye doctor. It's just that they're looking at more eye diseases and lens prescriptions. And it's like, well, lens prescription isn't going to treat somebody with an eye turn that's out here. <laughs> so those are the differences. And I, before I, I, I dig deeper into your experiences and your relationships with your patients, tell me more about your research. Um, what mm -hmm. that has been uh, piqued your interest lately um, and, and what is it that uh, you're working on these days? So last year I did a six-month study. I was actually went into schools and we implemented ocular movement, left to right eye movement training. And so the kids, uh, we did first through third grade and they came in five, 10 minutes. They just did eye exercises, eye movement training for about 10 minutes at a time, four or five days a week. Our goal was to get about an hour a week. And they did that for 10 weeks and we measured their reading performance before and after and they made significant gains, statistically significant. And then teachers, parents came to us and said, I don't know what's improved. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing, but my child is doing much better in school and in reading, um, more engaged, more interested. Um, and the concept is that we teach our kids how to write. We teach them how to hold a pencil and form appropriate writing and hand muscles and we do writing practices and maybe that's changing too because of technology so kids are maybe learning how to type earlier versus writing but um you know some kids eye movements and reading related eye movements aren't intuitive some kids get it right away and they're fast track readers and we're finding that a lot of kids with reading disorders such as dyslexia or generalized reading disorders, also have eye movement problems. And binocular vision disorders certainly play a role, a significant role in, in reading performance. But this particular study that I did, um, which was published in the journal Pediatrics, looked at left-to-right eye movements and simply ocular motor training. Wow. So it's a little bit different than stereo, stereopsis improvement, although you could argue you're working convergence when you're doing a near-task so, wow. tell me more about, um, so you talked about how technology is sort of changing the landscape for, for patients, right? So tell me more yes. about how technology is changing the landscape for practitioners themselves as well. Well, Vivid Vision is a great example. Um, I think that as a, I mean, as I started to get into vision therapy <clears throat> five or six years ago, I quickly realized that the kids were playing much cooler games at home than they were in the office. And I was having them do things that were just, you know, made in 1970. And I didn't have a whole lot of flexibility because I'm working in a clinic or working at a optometry school where, you know, we're given, we have the equipment here and I, you know, I don't have my own practice or at that time at least. And so, um, I already was kind of strategizing how can we make, um, vision therapy modern and make it align with what technologies are available today and, and basically unite those worlds. And so I think that's slowly starting to happen and it's super exciting. Um, 
And then coming from my research background, I'm really, really excited to get into more of um, how virtual reality is improving stereo vision. Because, I mean, just case by case, I'm seeing improvements in patients, but it will be great to have that data and research to back it up and then the outreach will expand. So people will become more aware in all medical professions, you know, and that way ophthalmology who doesn't really do vision therapy, they'll be able to say, Oh, well, this is working. This sort of method is working. I should refer my patient who doesn't have stereo vision over to this office that does do vision therapy, or they might be open to incorporating certain things. Um, it, vision therapy is like any therapy, like physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, certain modalities work for certain patients, and it's very tailored to the specific diagnosis and the patient's age and their cognitive ability. Um, but at the same time, we want standardized protocols. We want to be able to say, all right, I see a person with exotropia and I turn outward. How do I treat that? And so it would be really nice to say, okay, what do we do? And have it more um, standardized protocol, but that's really hard in medicine in general. So it's not just vision therapy. So one doctor who treats, you know, high blood pressure might use a different medication than a completely other doctor. You know, it's just the way medicine is. So it's finding more agreement. And I think research really helps kind of tailor that and make things clearer. Us. Especially when I was when you when you we were you were talking about um, how how do we modernize vision therapy? I thought about this. I was like, well, how do how does you know for for you, Alex, uh, modernizing vision therapy might look a certain way, but for other optometrists all over the country or the world, it might look a different you know a whole different way. And and I wonder, what do you think the alternative looks like if it's not incorporating virtual reality? You know, how does a, a VT practice modernize in the twenty first century? Um, these days? Um, so I'll, I'll come from my experience and, and where my current practice is because I really love what, what our office is doing. And of course I'm biased <laughs> and I work there for a reason, but, um, so the practice is about 40 years old. So you can imagine we have vivid vision next to like the most ancient amblyoscope out there, which is for people who don't know what an amblyoscope is. It's like this very rogue uh, piece of equipment that we actually call the grandpa. And you put your chin in a chin rest and like you move these two like big, it's huge. It's super heavy. You could like a bodybuilder could use it to, <laughs> to, to uh, get, get big. But um, you move these two levers and, um, Basically, the patient has to learn to fuse um, the images, and they're seeing two different images, uh, one image to the right eye, the other image to the left eye. And if their brain is, can, is using both eyes together, they're able to align those images. So an example would be like a bird in a cage. And so they, if their brain, if they were truly using um, both eyes together and having a certain amount of stereo vision, they would be able to see the bird inside the cage. So for somebody with a constant eye turn, uh, we can align the images anyway. So that's, that's basically like the concept behind virtual reality, but super uninteresting. And <laughs> you're seeing two static images, but so we have old equipment, but we've incorporated the latest and greatest into our practice. So it might be 
making the doctors making choices. Okay. I think it's a choice, you know, if they want to bring in this new equipment, it's our kids really want to see interesting things and see things and learn from things that they haven't seen before. And I think that if they're playing really cool games at home and they have great technology at home, they're going to come to the office and not really necessarily be fully engaged by doing traditional, you know, 30, 40 year old vision therapy exercises. Kids were different in the 1970s. You know, now kids are really stimulated. And so we have to work with their interests. And yeah. And then, so also I think modernize, it goes along with staying up to date with research and what's effective. So if we can start proving that these newer technologies are just as or maybe even more effective than current procedures or like procedures of the past, then we're in really good use to monitoring. That's really or, yeah, improving, updating practices. That's so awesome to hear. Can I ask you, at, at what point does, you know, where, my, my mind leads me to believe that technology can only take you so far. And I wonder, you know, in your scenario, in your case, you know, at where, where does the li- where are the limits of you know vivid vision or other uh, technological tools that you use, and where does the human aspect come in? You know, when when tell me more about like how it is that you guys are able to merge those two different um, ways of treating people uh, and and, mm. and and helping patients better that way. So I, I think that the way that, that we practice vision therapy is a patient is one-on-one with a vision therapist or myself. I treat more of the severe patients, but usually I'm doing evaluations and I'm checking on progress. So, But they are one-on-one with a vision therapist. So they're getting feedback. I have patients that um, – so we do multiple techniques in one vision therapy visit – Um, vivid vision would be an example of a binocular vision technique or a fusion technique. We do four techniques per visit. So that's just one. So I'm basically having them do vivid vision. If we choose that one for that session for about 15 minutes, sometimes if they're really experiencing something profound, I'll have them go longer. You know, if, if they're really getting good, valuable, they're having a really good session and their depth is really there and they're progressing through the activities. Like I love bubbles and we can talk more about specifics on how I use vivid vision, but um, I'll keep them going. So not to limit, you know, the keep it really regimented. And I'll, I'll keep going if they're really getting good um, experience from that technique. But um, so just to say they're not doing vivid vision the entire session, right? So I'm having them doing eye focusing, so lens focusing activities to improve their accommodation. I'm having them do eye tracking techniques. So they're having to hit a moving target or press buttons across a board and use peripheral. So there's other aspects to vision than binocular vision. Um, And with that said, I'm watching them do vivid vision. So even though they're in the virtual world, I'm saying, they might say, oh, I... Uh, I can't see the ball. So I had a patient yesterday doing breaker. They couldn't see the ball out of the left eye. So I said, okay, close your right eye. Close your right eye. Can you see the ball? Oh, yeah. Okay, now open both eyes. Blink, blink. Can you keep the ball? Yeah, it's hard to see, but I can see it. Okay, so I'm getting them to really engage 
and break that suppression. So basically, if the ball disappeared, they had they had suppression of the left eye. Wow. So so they need that feedback. If they were doing that on their own, um, they that might not be intuitive, and they might not be able to see the ball. You know, so so some patients, it's it's a spectrum, just like any disorder. Some patients have some binocular vision, and they can work with what they have, and maybe learn a little bit more independently. But I find that people really just, especially the cases that I see, they really don't realize that their vision is there and they're not using it and they don't know how to engage and wake it up. And that's what vision therapy is all about is teaching people how to use their eyes and appreciate vision. It's literally eye exercise, you know? It's so amazing. Can you, if, if, I'm sure there are um, optometrists, vision therapists out there that might be listening to this podcast. Do you happen to have any advice, any life pro tips that you can share um, that you've walked away from your practice that you, you think would be valuable for someone else out there, uh, whether it's in incorporating vivid vision or, or something else? Um, I, I think that if there's an optometrist listening that don't, that doesn't do any vision therapy and doesn't plan on incorporating vision therapy into the practice. That's perfectly fine. But do screening tests, ask questions to patients because chances are they are coming in contact with people who need help in developing stereo vision or have a binocular vision disorder or a vision problem that could be treated and cured with vision therapy. And so asking questions like, do you have double vision? Do you have eye strain at the end of the day? Um, do you have any eye pain in or around your eyes? Um, just really key questions that um, covd.org is a great place to just download their checklist. And you could just give that to patients or include that in your patient history form. Now, um, if you do ex see a patient that you see an eye turn and um, or they have you measure stereopsis or depth perception and they have no stereo vision or, or reduced stereo vision, refer to a doctor who does do vision therapy, a developmental optometrist, because that patient may not know that they want depth perception yet because they've just been used to either closing an eye a lot of the time if they're seeing double or just suppressing one eye and they've never experienced the world in 3D. And so for people like Sue Barry, who just always went around like this and was terrified of driving, didn't really know why, and couldn't parallel park. Um, so day-to-day -day activities, stereo vision can really improve performance on all levels, academics, sports, driving, you know, so it's, it's really, it, it can really impact lives. So I would say for optometrists, do just a, a quick screening, do some tests like stereo vision, cover tests to measure eye alignment, just to see if a patient has uh, an issue to refer. Um, and then I'm a huge advocate of vision therapy offices to incorporate new technology. I think we need to stay up to date and medicine needs to go in science and medicine and technology should collaborate and find what's the best treatment for patients. And I've just had such success. I, I was actually surprised by how much I really enjoy vivid vision because <laughs> I'll say this, I'll try to be nice because I actually like sometimes I'll, I know kids have so much screen time nowadays. So I was kind of like a lot of times bringing them into the office and my, outlook was, okay, maybe we should not do a whole lot of screen techniques today. Or, um, 
but vivid vision has been really monumental in for me and my patients in treating strabismus and eye turn, um, which is huge. I mean, I see a seven-year-old patient. He's had three strabismus surgeries. His eye turn is this, vertical and outward. He'll switch fixations. Very little alignment. Very, very seldom alignment. But when he will do 15 minutes of vivid vision and then take it off aligned. It's been three months and I've been working with him. Usually he comes in every two weeks now because he's been in vision therapy for three years. He's had the most improvement this year after we've started him on vivid vision this summer. Wow. Yeah. So it's really exciting. And I actually want to write up a case and maybe I'll talk to you about it, like a case study on that. But, um, and obviously I really want to know more on when it comes to like how we, you know, how we can do more research and, um, in treating patients with strabismus. But the, this isn't the only, I mean, there are studies out there um, on virtual reality and adults with strabismus and their stereopsis improving after a few weeks of doing virtual reality. So this is not a surprise, but I think that we, we need more information and more data out there. Yeah, because we want to make it better. We want to know what we yeah. can do to make it better. It, 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 you know, sort of anecdotally or based off of, from your perspective, you know, what you've um, experienced so far, where do you think Vivid Vision can improve the most? And please, please be ruthless. Go out. Yeah. Oh, I will. Okay. So I think that um, I would love to know their convergence and divergence. I would love to know how much are they having to fuse in order to keep the images um, to keep the stereo images, like for instance, on bubbles, there's a certain amount of, of disparity to where they have to converge or diverge. And I think it's mostly convergence in vivid vision right now. So they have a certain amount of convergence that they need to turn their eyes inward to keep that image 3d. I would love to know that measurement because then we could say, okay, if they did level one and level two, and it was, you know, maybe one to five base out, but then, you know, in five sessions, they got to level four and five, which is more like 10 to 15 base out. I want to know their convergence and then we could create norms and goals and um, things like, okay, so well, somebody with normal depth perception should get to 30 base out or something like, actually, it's probably closer if that's distance optical. So it's probably more like 20 base out would be the, nor the norm that I would set. Um, but then you, yeah, I think that having some numeric quantitative data would be really helpful. Um, and I realize that sometimes that's hard with certain games, but I think bubbles would be a great one. Um, so yeah, knowing the disparity, measuring the amount of prism or prismatic um, convergence or divergence, and maybe even having some vertical fusion as well. Wow, well, I, I will. So the the dev team listens to this podcast religiously, and they cool. are probably listening to you right now in the future, and they're taking notes. So thanks so much. <laughs> awesome. Do you have any um, uh, experiences with older patients using Vivid Vision? By the way, uh, I do. I I have. So we have eight therapists on staff, and so I have some other therapists that are working with more adult patients. Um, and 
yeah, especially post-surgical, because a lot of adult strabismus patients had surgery when they were kids. So it's interesting. They maybe grew up with an eye turn in and then had surgery and then had an outward eye turn. So the goal, the end goal is the same. It's just to really try to get both eyes to work together and the brain to appreciate depth perception. And what I'm thinking virtual reality is doing is um, kind of creating a simpler world, a world where they are you know, we can manipulate targets to one eye versus the other, and they're um, able to put that together easier than when they take the headset off. And then, wow, we have all of these <laughs> stimuli and um, at all these different distances, and it's the brain becomes overwhelmed. And then that's when inhibition or double vision occurs. As patients with strabismus will either have suppression or double vision. Wow. So, um, I, I do think that um, there's a huge benefit for adults and, you know, I'll, I'll throw out the term neuroplasticity when, you know, we can learn at any age and we can use our, and, and the same is true for vision in the visual cortex. So. Yeah, the, the brain is much more malleable than we like to give it credit uh, for. Yeah, yeah, we think we have to learn, or the, the old thought was we had to learn everything when we were young, but it's just so not true then adults would just give up, right? <laughs> I would. I want to learn my whole life. So, um, yeah, I really, really am excited and curious as to, um, you know, as we get more and more research and more people are using the system. What is it, like 65 clinics now yep. are using Vivid? It's getting there. It's awesome. Getting there. It's so exciting. Um, well, let me ask you this. What are your, uh, before we bring things to a close, what are you? Yeah. Um, any final thoughts on what the future vision therapy looks like? You know, from from your standpoint, can you zoom out and see what will the next five, ten years look like and uh, for vision therapy? It's blowing up. <laughs> it is blowing up. I mean, people are becoming way more aware. It's. I think it's only going to ex exponentially grow and expand. Yeah, I, I really do. In part, I think... Because concussions became so um, just uh, publicized and researched over the past five years even, and the movie Concussion came out, and then a lot of, 60% of people with concussions have visual sequelae. So I think a lot of that like bridged together and really helped with awareness of vision rehabilitation and vision therapy. Um, and there's a few different reasons, but yeah, we've had some big studies come out in the past five, 10 years. So I think it's only growing and expanding. It's super interesting because vision takes up about 85% of our brain. So our, our big, it's our biggest sense. And so why would we hesitate to do treatment and diagnose things that would substantially improve performance? I mean, it's in every vision is everything we do. Unless somebody is completely blind, even if they have a small amount of vision, they're still using vision. So, and that's a really small number of people. 85% of what kids learn is visual in school. The rest is kinesthetic, auditory, but it's our greatest sense. So why not make it the best we can? You know, it, and it would almost seem like it would be common sense for insurance companies to cover vision therapy. Yes. They like to drag their feet. Um, yeah, we have certain diagnoses that are so well researched and vision therapy being the number one standardized treatment for such as convergence insufficiency. 
um, that they really can't deny that one. Um, so it's plan specific. Um, it depends on the patient's personal insurance and if they have therapeutic uh, rehabilitation services covered. But there's really, I mean, they patients might need to fight for it, um, and doctors too. I write letters of medical necessity all the time, but um, there are certain diagnoses that are undeniable. I think amblyopia should be a, a really close second to convergence insufficiency. Strabismus will be more and more. Um, strabismus is tricky. <laughs> it's tricky, but vision therapy really, I mean, th I'm biased, but it's really been helping my patients. I, yeah, I, I, I see an adult and he's not ready for vision therapy yet, but, um, I, or I'm sorry, he's not ready for vivid vision yet, but he's, he's, it's just amazing. It's, it's amazing because some people want multiple opinions. And so a lot of ophthalmologists will dive right to surgery because that's their forte and that's their specialty. And it's, um, but you know, some patients choose to go, go the more holistic right route, more vision therapy route. And they're amazed by how much control they're able to achieve over their eye turn. And really, you know, the success rates are variable for surgery. And that's just because it's, it's muscular. It's, you're not doing anything to the brain pathways and getting the brain to really learn stereo vision. So oftentimes patients, okay, they'll go from in inward eye turn, the surgeon aligns, it's aligned for a few months, and then all of a sudden it goes out or back in because the brain just can't use both eyes together. You never really learned that effectively. So that's where we come in. So we could all work together, you know, <laughs> surgeons. Um, yeah, I yeah. yeah the, I'm hopeful that we will um, hit up on a world where ophthalmologists and optometrists and vision therapists will all get along. Yeah, we have our own fortes. Yeah. Absolutely. It's definitely definitely a, a more of a complementary relationship, I think. Um, yeah, which I'm so thankful for you guys coming out with this technology and collaborating with, you know, vision specialists and making it better and better, you know, every year because it's we need we need really interesting cool techniques and like the vision. Yeah. Absolutely. Alex, before we bring I realized that we can talk for hours. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> before we bring things to a close, um, any final thoughts, any final comments? <sighs> yeah, I, I think people just be aware that you can improve your vision. And even, uh, this is going to sound crazy, but I work with a 78-year-old vision therapist who's been doing vision therapy on herself five minutes daily since she was 30 and doesn't wear reading glasses. So things are possible. <laughs> um, and you could be a normal, healthy individual with great depth perception and still benefit from doing certain vision exercises. And I think that just be aware that um, certain eye care specialists may or may not know that there's a lot of research for vision therapy and support vision rehabilitation. And that, you know, primary eye care doctors um, should maybe ask key questions, refer if they're, if they see any issues upon just a normal eye exam or, um, you know, if the patient has any sort of complaint, just know that there are treatments out there that can really improve certain aspects of vision. And there's a lot of people who need vision therapy who don't know they have a vision condition. So 
Seriously. Alex, what's the best way to stay in touch with you or, or reach out um, if, if people are interested? Yeah. So if anybody has questions, I'm happy to share my email. It's A-A-T-A-L-A-B-E-R at Gmail. And I'm happy to share any of the research we talked about. Um, I'm always reading, especially research on newer technologies and vision therapy and trying to incorporate those. So, um, yeah, anybody who has questions, feel free to email me. Nice. Alex, thank you so much for your time. Um, I can't wait to have you on the podcast again because we yeah. can go on for hours. Um, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs>